Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me on this Monday as we kick off a brand new week in Biden's America. Pray for us. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore And I just want to say this about my Instagram account. I posted one hell of a photo over the weekend. So if you're not already following me on Instagram, you must. At Monica Crowley underscore, you're going to wet yourself. It's so good. (laughs) So uh, please check it out at Monica Crowley underscore on Instagram and on Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email. Let me know what's on your mind to Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Keep those emails going. I read them. I see them. And I might read yours at the end of each show. So don't be afraid. Hit those keyboards and shoot me what's on your mind. All right. Today, I want to extend election integrity week because there's always more to cover when it comes to the Democrat communist crimes of rigging elections, which they have been doing for a hell of a long time. In a few minutes, we're going to talk to the dynamite Molly Hemingway, who is the editor-in-chief of The Federalist, and she's also the author of Rigged, which was the very first book exposing the significant widespread voter fraud orchestrated by the Democrat communists in 2020. We're going to talk about what they did then 
and what they have planned for November and 2024. So an extensive, smart, important conversation with Molly coming up. Plus, as I mentioned, your emails straight ahead. First up, the Monica Memo. Quadruple vaxxed, forever masked Joe Biden has come down with COVID twice in nine days. Back to the basement. So he was originally diagnosed, again, this was about two weeks ago, came down with COVID. They sent him into isolation, which you have to understand when it comes to the hair-sniffing weirdo who also is suffering from progressive dementia, it behooves them to have him out of the public eye because he's constantly bumbling, can't remember things, making huge mistakes, and and all of it. So if you're around him, if you're Ron Klain or professional liar Susan Rice, who is executing all of this, you want him out of the public eye. So it behooves them to have him come down with covid all the time. Nobody is minimizing COVID here, but from a political standpoint, it's good for the people actually running the country, Barack and Michelle via Susan Rice, who is, again, a professional liar going all the way back, think Benghazi and so on. So all the lies that are coming at us are a direct result of her. She is running the show. She's driving the bus. And Ron Klain, the chief of staff, those two are working hand in glove with the Obama machine in order to carry out what's what's going on here. So it is important for them to remove Joe Biden because, again, dementia is a progressive disease, very sad, and God forbid any of us have it uh, at any time, but none of us are president of the United States with the issues of war and peace and life and death in our hands. But he does. So it behooves them to get him out of the public eye and back into the basement. So they're saying that they treated the original COVID bout with Paxlovid, which is Pfizer, of course, uh, antiviral. And they always say, well, a very small percentage of people have a rebound COVID episode. Very small. Guys, we have been lied to around the clock for two and a half, going on three years about this virus, about these shots, about so much. So when they they always say a very small percentage of people are vaccine injured, a very small amount of people have this rebound from this Pfizer antiviral drug nonsense. It's totally widespread. It's everywhere. It's still being covered up and and lied about. So anyway, he takes this drug and he's got the rebound, the way Fauci had the rebound off of this drug. Okay. So you got, you got the two guys who were supposed to be running the COVID response and they're like, oh, this drug is so great. Oh, whoops. Oh, oh yeah. Here I go again with COVID rebound. I mean, Come on. Anybody with a brain, start applying common sense to what we've been told and what we continue to be told about all of this. But anyway, uh, so he is back in the basement, which is perfectly appropriate because this is, first of all, he's got COVID again. Secondly, this is how he won the presidency, staying in the basement. The less he talks, the less he's out there, the fewer public mistakes he can make. And then, 
you, you know, this, this all serves the interests of the great resetters, the Obamas, via professional liar Susan Rice and Ron Klain in the White House. It behooves them to have him silent, zip it, so that they can really accelerate the great reset here at home. So how are you enjoying Biden's presidency so far? Ain't it great? Such great leadership, right? Back in the basement. So they've all talked a good line about wanting to send him on the road uh, before the midterms. They're going to send him on the road. The guy can't even make it down the hallway. They're going to send him on the road. Come on. It's like Zelensky saying, this, this was like last week or two weeks ago, Zelensky saying, uh, President Biden really must come to Ukraine. And I tweeted, go to Ukraine. He can't even make it to the kitchen. <laughs> They're going to send him to Ukraine. And even now, like heading into November, yeah, they'll send him into a couple of, of states here and there, swing districts. But they really don't want to because the wear and tear on his body I mean, you know, travel takes a lot out of you when you're young and with it. But when you're ancient, when you're a fossil and you got dementia, come on, they can't send. I mean, they're going to really spread these trips out and so on. But I will say that having this rebound COVID, which they're saying is asymptomatic, whatever, but he, he tested positive now two days in a row, Saturday and Sunday. We'll see what today brings. But uh, this is a great way to keep him in the basement. So, I mean, expect multiple rebounds between now and November. Holy cow. Speaking of November, we are now, as of today, 99 days away, 99 days away, Biden, repeat the line. We are now 99 days away from the midterm elections. So while it looks good for us right now in this moment, guys, we cannot get complacent The Democrat communists certainly aren't, and we're going to talk to Molly Hemingway here about that, but no grass grown under their feet. They're coming up with all kinds of ways to try to rig these elections and mitigate their losses. The Bloomberg Misery Index, this is really critical. The Bloomberg Misery Index is a combination of a bunch of different economic indicators to, to they call it the misery index, to try to gauge how miserable we actually are based on where the economy is. So they fold in things like the inflation rate and unemployment, and, and they do it state by state. They do it at the national level as well. And they've got a couple of other indicators that they fold in. Well, the Bloomberg misery index is off the charts. We're all miserable. I wanted a BLT the other day, I told you. I looked at a menu, $29. I did not order the BLT. So now Biden inflation has us choosing between lunch and bankruptcy. We are all miserable. Gas prices, all of it is just completely off the wall insane. And it's all man-made. This is a man-made disaster by the Democrat communists who have total control in Washington, D.C., And much of this falls on the Fed as well, but the Democrats keep spending. And now with this mansion deal, you got another trillion dollars in spending coming at you. So if you think inflation today is bad, forget about it. This is like child's play compared to what's coming. That $29 BLT is going to be, I don't know, 35 bucks, 40 bucks in like two months. We're like the Weimar Republic. This is where we're heading right now. So the Bloomberg Misery Index 
which again is off the wall, crazy, has now a political projection uh, associated with it. So for the midterms, they are saying based on this misery index and how horrible things are and how miserable we all are, uh, they are now predicting that Republicans will pick up 30 to 40 seats in the House of Representatives, which is very, very significant. And they're predicting that Republicans will gain control of the Senate. So this is all to the good. Now, we are 99 days away. A lot could happen. I mean, Mrs. Pelosi is now uh, apparently going to be en route to Taiwan at the end of the week. We can debate whether or not that's a good idea. But the bigger point is there are external things that could happen that we, we cannot foresee right now that can throw a, a wrench into all of this and send everything off the rails. So we don't know. We don't know what's in front of us here. But I'm just reporting to you, as of today, this Bloomberg Misery Index is predicting 30 to 40 seat pickup in the House, which would give Republicans firm control. Remember, we're only four seats down. We only need to pick up four seats to win the majority in the House. And the Senate's a 50-50 split. So we just need to pick up one seat and hold everything else to win the majority there. We also have a tremendous enthusiasm gap where Republicans are just coming out in droves. We have seen high Republican turnout in the primaries that have already happened. By the way, we've got a big one in Arizona happening tomorrow. Carrie Lake, who we've had on the show, she is sensational. Um, we will report all of the results on Wednesday and we'll take it all apart and what it means. But we've got big MAGA candidates running in Arizona. The election is uh, there tomorrow. Carrie Lake for governor, Blake Masters for the U.S. Senate. We'll, we'll talk about a lot of it and what it means. That's coming up on Wednesday. But we're seeing this massive enthusiasm for Republicans in terms of turning out and just chomping at the bit to go and vote couple of examples. Maya Flores flipped Texas 34, which is a historically deep blue, 84% Hispanic district in the Rio Grande Valley. Democrats won that district by over 25% in 2016, 20% in 2018, and 13.6% in 2020. So you can see the numbers dwindling over the last, what, eight years, six years, six years. This is actually accelerating at a much higher rate than I thought. So the Hispanic support for Democrats, especially in this district, but across the board, is hemorrhaging really fast. In North Carolina, Republican turnout was 86% higher than it was in 2018 during those midterms. In Pennsylvania, Republican turnout was 75% higher than it was in 2018. In Ohio, Republicans saw the highest turnout in a midterm primary ever. Republican turnout doubled Democrat turnout and grew by over 20% compared to the last midterm in 2018. So these are just bites of like snapshots of where we are. So while I'll say it looks pretty good and we do have the momentum and we do have the enthusiasm, guys, We can be confident, but we cannot get complacent about this. We cannot. We have to make sure that we are on 
top Johnny on the spot in terms of voter fraud and keeping up the support and momentum of these fantastic candidates, because God knows the Democrats are, they're all over this. They have been for a very long time, and they're going to do their damnedest to try to blunt the impact of this red wave. I Look, I feel relatively good about this, and I am a natural optimist, hence Happy Warrior, which is my brand. And I, I, I am. I am. But that doesn't mean that we can take this for granted, okay? The Democrats are raising a lot of money. We're going to talk to Molly here in a second about what the, the shenanigans that they've already got planned and the pieces that they're moving into place. They never miss a beat when it comes to trying to steal or rig elections, okay? So keep that in mind and also keep in mind that these external events that we can't foresee could throw a wrench in everything. So what I'm saying is, yes, it looks positive, but we cannot rest on our laurels here and we cannot take for granted that this is just going to happen. Oh, well, it's going to be a red wave, so I'm going to stay home. Absolutely not. Oh, hell no. Get out there. Campaign for your candidates. Put up lawn signs. Volunteer your time for a candidate or to be a poll watcher, an election observer in your local hometown. Do what needs to be done. This is why I'm doing this podcast all the time, every week, day in and day out, because we need to stay on top of this. Again, they are not missing one step, and so therefore, neither should we. We must not. The future of the country is at stake here, okay? So, all right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Molly Hemingway of The Federalist, and she was the first one to write a book called Rigged about the widespread uh, voter fraud in 2020. She is incredible. We're going to talk to her about what she found in the last election. And we're also going to talk to her about what she is reporting about what the Biden administration, the federal government, the Democrat communists are doing right now as we speak today to try to change the outcome of November's elections and how they're going to try to parlay that into 2024. This is the most important conversation that you will hear all day, maybe all week, maybe ever, because the future of the country hinges on election integrity. That's it. So we're going to have Molly Hemingway plus your emails coming straight up. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs like the heart, lungs, 
kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Well, welcome back. And as you all know, we just completed Election Integrity Week here on the Monica Crowley podcast, going through the facts and the evidence we have so far of the illegalities, irregularities, and other shady stuff that went on in the 2020 election. We have covered a lot of outrageous things that went down in that election, but there's more. There's always more when dealing with the Democrats and how they try to rig elections. So I wanted to spend more time talking about this in a more fulsome way today with the person who broke the first big story about how the left, big tech, and big money all work together to tilt the 2020 election. Molly Hemingway is the editor-in-chief of The Federalist. If you're not reading The Federalist every day, you must Molly's work there is superb, and in fact, the work of everybody at The Federalist is absolutely superb. So if it's not part of your bookmarked uh, websites, make it so today. She's also a Fox News contributor, and her dynamite and important book is called Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. Molly joins me now. Hi, Molly. Hello, great to be here with you. Well, welcome, and it's so good to have you here at long last. And we've got a lot to get to uh, with you because we've got another national election coming up shortly, and I want to talk to you about what the Democrats are plotting for the midterms. But before we do that, let's really get into what you uncovered from the 2020 election because we can't understand where we're going until we understand where we've been. Your bestseller, Rigged, Um, which is extraordinary, and everybody should have it and read it if you haven't already. But it really put all of the pieces together in a way that people hadn't seen or heard of before. So let's begin with the central villain of the story, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and Meta Infamy. Um, How did he come up with the idea? How was the idea to spend $400 million or so of Zuckerberg's money. How was that idea hatched uh, to try to influence the 2020 election? Because you say they bought that election way ahead of time. Where did that idea come from? So it was a really well-planned operation. And I want to just take another quick step back even before that, which is the Democrat Party has been focusing on election issues for a very long period of time. They put a lot of time and resources into it. And there was a plot to change the laws and processes governing our elections, hundreds of laws and processes across the, across the nation that was coordinated at a very high level. And the whole idea behind these changes was to uh, dramatically expand the number of mail-in ballots that could flood into the system. And we're talking 
tens of millions of mail-in ballots. And then also to make it so that it was more difficult to scrutinize those mail-in ballots. This has been in a desire of the Democrat Party for a very long period of time. The COVID protocols made it so that they could they could actually do a lot more than they ever dreamed imaginable. And that was an important part of the framework that then leads into the Mark Zuckerberg funded operation. So once they kind of radically changed our election voting system, they needed a way to exploit that. And uh, that required a lot of money. <laughs> so Mark Zuckerberg, who has top level Democrat operatives working for the Chan Zuckerberg initiative, were working closely with the other uh, you know, Democrat officials on how to weaponize this new way of voting in a way that would systematically advantage Democrats. And so what they did is they funneled Mark Zuckerberg's $419 million mm. through two left-wing nonprofit groups to basically run Democrat get-out-the-vote operations in the blue areas of swing states. And they they crossed into the government to do this. You know, we normally have a real bright line in our elections where the government administers elections in a nonpartisan way. And because of this funding, which I go into detail in the book about how it, how it works, they were able to they were able to run Democrat get out the vote operations from inside the government. It was a you know very dangerous and potentially illegal plan, but it was a brilliant plan and it certainly had a dramatic effect on the election. So these Democratic operatives went to Zuckerberg. I'm just I'm fascinated with how they came up with this idea, Molly, because one one of the recurring themes uh, throughout my entire uh, career as a political commentator and observer and analyst has been how the left has an abundance of imagination and our side does not. <laughs> our side does not. We don't think one step ahead, whereas the left is always thinking 10, 20 steps ahead. And they've got this incredible abundance of imagination in terms of thinking of ways to get around the law, to get a- around uh, the traditional way of doing things, to make sure that they win elections in all kinds of creative and innovative ways. And our side just doesn't have it. So I am fascinated with how and who came up with this idea. Okay. I want to first say that it's good to to notice this disparity in how Republicans and Democrats operate, but we should also just acknowledge that Democrats have some unfair systematic advantages. They have a corporate media that does whatever they want and does not scrutinize anything nefarious that they do. They have corporations that fund them and they have a lot of money behind their operations. So I would say what I found interesting about the ties between Democrat operatives and Mark Zuckerberg would be the presence of John Podesta, mm-hmm. you know, former Obama official who was running political projects at the Zuckerberg Chan Initiative, this like superpower um, philanthropic group. And he'd written a book about how if Democrats wanted to win in 2020, it had to come down to like a street fight, as he put it, in Detroit, in Milwaukee, in Philadelphia. Well, that's what Zuckerberg ends up funding, the street fight in these cities. They understand that to win these states where where Republicans were winning for the first time in a while, they would have to squeeze out somehow more vote. And so this is a very elaborate operation. Again, you know, they're changing these laws and processes in an unconstitutional manner, usually, to make it so that you can just have like a lot of ballots without a lot of scrutiny. And 
the system was really brilliant in that it was hard to even detect what was going on while it was going on. It's certainly difficult to detect if anything um, like truly illegal or fraudulent is going on. But the whole system is designed to create chaos and confusion and an inability to do anything about it. But Podesta, I think, is the linchpin here in that he's a high operative at the Zuckerberg Chan Initiative. He's in charge of like the general funding area. He wrote about the need to do something like this, and then it ends up getting funded by through these two left-wing nonprofit groups. Um, with the Zuckerberg money. Yes, and it makes total sense that Podesta would be the key man because he is completely plugged into the Obamas and the Obama machine, as well as a longstanding Clinton operative, Bill and yep. Hillary Clinton. So this essentially was Hillary Clinton's revenge, was it not? <laughs> well, it was <laughs> hers and a lot of people. You know, you, it, I wrote about it in Rig, but there was a left leaning reporter who kind of shared a lot of these details in Time Magazine in a cover story where she said there was a conspiracy, a cabal of powerful people across multiple industries who all conspired to, as she put it, fortify the election, which I think most people would say to rig the election through these elaborate processes. And when people saw what happened, they kind of knew something was up. They could just tell. It just felt weird. It was unlike any election we'd ever experienced. It had been weird for for you know many months leading up to it. And something just felt off. Like you can kind of get a feel for how states are going, uh, where the momentum is. And they had to work really, really hard to control the outcome and they also want you to deny, <laughs> you know, they want people to deny that they can tell that something was off. about. Yes. And, and it's all, all of this was legal, right? I mean, they found these imaginative ways of getting around the normal systems, but it was all so, above board. No, not necessarily. But that just because it might not be legal doesn't mean there's a ton you can do about it. And so just by way of example, the Wisconsin Supreme Court recently ruled that some of the things that Zuckerberg had funded in Wisconsin were, in fact, unconstitutional, illegal. But it's a complicated thing. You know, there was a state board that permitted and even encouraged this, a board that was funded by the Zuckerberg money. Um, and so they, when the Supreme Court came out with their ruling, they said, like, you can't ever do this again, but that doesn't mean that we're going to go back and change, you know, how things happened. And so a lot of this, a lot of this was also just done in an unconstitutional manner. State legislatures are the ones that are charged by our U.S. Constitution with overseeing the administration of elections. There's a tiny little role for the U.S. Congress, but otherwise it's all handled by state legislatures. But you would frequently have courts come in and just unilaterally rule that the legislature had done it wrong and they were going to allow something that the legislature had explicitly not allowed. And this happened all over the place. And it's actually why... The United States Supreme Court is hearing a case next term dealing with some of these issues about how judges are usurping uh, the legislature's authority to set election law. So illegal, unconstitutional, but not a lot you can do about it because of the weaknesses of our, you know, of our system or just because it was in a very time constrained manner that yes. a lot of these things were rushed through. Yes, exactly. The the time compression and this is what they do. They ram things through and then oh too too late to do anything about it before the major election. The left has always believed it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission and they never ask for forgiveness. But that that's just the way that they roll. I'm also fascinated, Molly, with big tech's role in this. And you know, on a separate side of this 
but related. Bill Gates up to his eyeballs, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation up to their eyeballs in these vaccines and the COVID response and, and all of it. And I'm not saying there may have been a conspiracy here, although there may have been, but was there a coordinated um, a conversation, at least, between some of these big tech titans, like Gates says to Zuckerberg, look, I'm, I'm covering the COVID part of this. You cover the election part of this. I, I'm sure there weren't overt conversations, although there may have been, but what did you uncover, uncover in terms of the web of big tech coordination? So this was one of the reasons why I wrote the book even more than all the issues with election administration, because you know, immediately after the 2016 election, you have all of these tech oligarchs like going out and publicly saying, we're never going to let this happen again. And they're saying, you know, when you speak directly to the people without us mediating it, they might vote for you. And so we don't want to have that happen. And so they start, they do all sorts of things, you know, algorithms so that when people search for basic information, they are fed information in a way that that advantages left-leaning or Democrat candidates or issues or ideas and suppresses things from the right. They deplatform all the most effective conservative voices, leading up to and including after the election, the sitting president of the United States. They do things where they have they manipulate the email that Google sends out so that if you're a Republican fundraiser, your emails get sent to spam. And if you're a Democrat fundraiser, they make sure that they get opened. I mean, there are a gazillion things you can do to advantage a political party or movement and disadvantage another. And big tech kind of did all of them. And so I don't know if it's coordinated so much as everybody is just so far left in Silicon Valley that they viewed it and they, they kind of whipped themselves into this hysteria that it was their sacred duty to suppress information and news if it went against their preferred uh, political objectives and aims. And it is worth millions of votes. I mean, it's worth so much more than that. It's it's a level of election meddling and manipulation of the mind that is a direct threat on our republic and our continued self-governance. So while everybody needs to care a lot about election integrity and security, I don't think they can do it without also caring about how tech companies are meddling. Yes, and it's it's about controlling the flow of information. And by extension, it's also trying to control the language in the most Orwellian kind of way. It's silencing dissent. But as we saw with trying to redefine recession or woman or mostly peaceful or secure border or vaccine, um, they manipulate the language because if they do that, then they can control the narrative and then they can control behavior. And big tech is right in the middle of that by controlling controlling the flow of information. Uh, okay, let's hit a quick break. We're going to come back with Molly Hemingway. Her book is called Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. If you haven't already gotten it, go get it, read it, and learn it. We're going to have more with Molly on the other side. Well, guys, the recession is here. We have been warning about it for quite a while, and now the numbers just bear it out. We've had two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. The U.S. economy is shrinking, it is not growing, and it looks to be getting even worse, not better. Skyrocketing inflation, sky-high gas prices, consumer prices at a 40-year high, and it looks like we're in the midst of stagflation because we are. So now more than ever, it's critical for you to take a hard look at diversifying your savings into gold and silver in order to protect your future and your family's future. Text Monica to 989-898 and get a free information kit on how to diversify and protect your savings with precious metals. 
With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, Birch Gold Group is your trusted precious metals professionals. They are standing by right now to help you make gold history's most stable asset part of your portfolio right now. So text MONICA to 989-898 and get real help from Birch Gold Group today. Again, text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free, no obligation information kit on how to protect your hard-earned savings with gold. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back with Molly Hemingway. Her book is called Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. She's also the editor-in-chief of The Federalist, which is an outstanding website, and you should be up there every day reading their work. Um, Molly, okay, before the break, we were talking about what uh, big tech and the left, the Democrats via Mark Zuckerberg and others, what they did to try to sway the election uh, in 2020. And before we get to how the Biden administration and the federal government are now taking on what Zuckerberg did and actually federalizing it in a way that seems so clearly unconstitutional. I want to ask you about that. But before we do, what you described um, and exposed, after you exposed all of this, a number of states have made it illegal. You mentioned Wisconsin and so on. Um, They have now made it illegal to do what Zuckerberg did in terms of influencing uh, local elections and getting involved at that level with that extent of money and influence. Tell us what states have done what, and are there any key states that still haven't done anything to address this and must? So I think a total of 22 states have banned the private takeover of government election offices, and that's good. That's a great start, Um, but it's still fewer than half of the states in the union. And most of the states that are doing it are the are Republican controlled states. So there's a lot that can happen, you know, in a state like New York, where they're trying to basically make it illegal to be a Republican, they do allow for this type of private takeover of government election offices in a way that can very much advantage the Democrat party. So, um, a lot that needs to be done, but also I think that one of the problems that Republicans have had beyond just not caring enough about election integrity for decades is they're always fighting the previous battle without realizing what's coming around the bend for the next battle. And so what Zuckerberg and the assorted groups were able to do in 2020 was insane. I mean, it's crazy that they were allowed to do it. Nobody had even imagined that one of the world's wealthiest and most powerful men could take over the U.S. election system. So as soon as it happened, a lot of people did react against it. But you have to understand that even while it was happening, Democrats are thinking, I can't believe we're getting away with this. Mm. And there's no way we could get away with it more than one cycle. And so it's a much more decentralized thing now. Components of what was done with the Zuckerberg funding are now being done by different groups in different smaller ways. They're craftier about how they do it. They're creating systems to embed into the government election offices operatives who can then create what they call best practices, which of course are practices designed to gin up Democrat get out the vote efforts from inside the election offices and then spreading those nationally. Like they're very good and they have a good system to to just kind of take what works for Democrat vote gain and make it go national. But they're also doing 
other bigger things that I think people should care about as well. So I, I guess the $6 million, or the, I should say the $420 million question, Molly, is were Zuckerberg's efforts in these key swing districts and swing states enough to change the outcome of the 2020 election? So one of the things that's interesting, people have been, you know, when it happened, people were kind of just hit by surprise. And since it's happened, you've had a lot of different people looking into what the effect of the Zuckerberg funding was. And you'll get different analysis from different people. But there's a group of PhD economists and econometricians out of Texas who have looked into it. They're independent analysts. They're interested in election issues. But they had they because they were in Texas, they started looking in Texas at the effect of Zuckerberg funding there. That's a safe Republican state. But they still found that Biden was able to get 200,000 additional votes from the Zuckerberg funding that he wouldn't have gotten in Texas. Then they looked at Wisconsin, which had a margin of, oh, I'm forgetting now. It's been so long. You know, it's like 10,000 or 30,000. They did a Bayesian analysis in most of their studies, but they looked in Wisconsin and they found that it more than, I think it was like 80,000 extra votes for Biden, more than making up the difference in the vote totals there. Everywhere they look, it had a significant and dramatic impact on the outcome of the election. And I think it's worth remembering too, that all year long in 2020, we were told that this would be a Biden blowout. It was going to be massive. It was going to be huge. It was going to be epic renunciation of Trump and his voters and his policies. Well, it came down to 43,000 votes across three states that would have determined the outcome of this election. It turned out to be an incredibly close election with all of this manipulation and rigging of the system. And I think it's just was money well spent. Now, I will also say that those people who did this analysis determined that he could have gotten the same outcome for only, I think, $80 million. So he didn't need to spend 419 to get the same outcome. At some point, it was just an, an, an unnecessary amount of funding. So I heard that one of the groups that was doing this was not going to be spending so much money. It was only going to be spending about 80 million or something like that. And it was like, well, that's, that's all they need to spend in order incredible. to have this. It's just incredible. Before we turn to what the government, our government is doing in taking over this whole project, Molly, what do you make of what Dinesh D'Souza and True the Vote exposed in 2000 mules, the widespread use of paid couriers to harvest and, and traffic both real and fraudulent ballots in these critical areas. What's your assessment of that? Well, ballot trafficking is one of the issues that was funded by this Zuckerberg operation. Some states actually allow ballot trafficking, which is a very bad idea if you care about the privacy of the ballot or not having people manipulated. Uh, but many states ban ballot trafficking, the use of third-party people to come in and grab votes. And I just think it's important to remember too we used to vote publicly and we moved to a private secure ballot in a with a ballot given by the government precisely because we had all this third party meddling that you're now seeing return to the system thanks to this outpouring of money and lobbying by democrat activists people should be able to vote in private and when you have unsupervised voting which is what this expansive mail in balloting is it is very open for fraud but also for manipulation and coercion, you know, where a spouse or a child or a parent or a religious leader or a businessman, you know, starts pressuring you on how you vote because you can show, you can prove to them how you voted with this 
unsupervised balloting that they can then, you know, they can traffic themselves to the to the voting place. So it's a very serious issue. Every state that cares about personal privacy and election security should, of course, ban third party ballot trafficking um, because it's just a complete violation of what we fought really hard to get in this country over a long period of time. So between both operations, Molly, between the vote trafficking and what you report in rigged, the 2020 election was absolutely rigged. And, you know, Molly, I I tell my audiences all the time that my very first job out of college, I worked with President Nixon during the last years of his life. And we talked often about the 1960 election, which was Nixon versus JFK. And on election night, Uh, Nixon was actually presented with concrete evidence of voter fraud that was orchestrated by the old man Kennedy in three locations in Cook County, Illinois, because Illinois was still a swing state at the time, in West Virginia and in Texas uh, via Lyndon Johnson, who was JFK's running mate. And in those three areas, they actually had evidence that night of on election night that the machines in those areas were rigged. So remember the old metal machines and you'd go in and you'd pull the curtain and then you'd flip down little metal levers. Well, in these areas... Uh, where they wanted to tilt the election to JFK, if you went in and voted for JFK, the lever in the back went down for JFK. But if you went in and voted for Richard Nixon, both levers went down. So every single person who walked in was voting for Kennedy, even if they were voting for Nixon. So my point is that these Democrats have been elevating voter fraud and election rigging to an art and a science for many decades. It didn't just start in 2020. And now here we are. And I want you to tell us what you have found in terms of what the federal government and the Biden administration, the Biden administration, what they are now doing in preparation for November's elections and beyond. Well, I just also want to note that when I interviewed people, the people who were most tenacious in caring about election security and election integrity in the Republican Party, because you meet people in the Republican Party who just don't care about this. The ones who do are the ones who grew up in Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Chicago, they they fight it because they know it's been going on for a long time. And when you grow up in a in an environment where elections aren't free and fair because they're controlled by a machine, then you care a lot more about it than other people. So uh, it's not, you know, it's not that long ago that you you had a presidential election that widely was viewed to have been um, won by the person who didn't actually win, as you note. But yes, so Moving forward, I think people need to care about this executive order that Joe Biden signed in March of 2021. You know, his big legislative goal was to pass a bill federalizing elections and control of elections called H.R. 1. That failed. But at the same time, he put forth an executive order to have hundreds of federal agencies come up with plans to take over, to have a federal role in the administration of elections. They were supposed to file those plans by September of 2021, literally with Susan Rice, one of the more political people in the Biden administration. She runs the domestic policy office. And they were supposed to work on ways to, again, do Democrat get out the vote operations through federal agencies. And what's really dangerous about this is a lot of the way that these people have contact with voters is through the administration of welfare benefits. And the federal government has always shied away 
from well not always since the 30s when the hatch act was <laughs> was uh, passed they have si- they've shied away from electioneering in relation to government benefits because of the obvious political you know nefariousness of it you'd say someone here's the food we're giving you or here's the check you're getting and don't forget to register to vote or don't forget to vote in Tuesday's election mm-hmm. it's obvious that there's a political gain for the party that um that is in power there or that is pushing these benefits. And so that's what is happening right now. And they're being very secretive about what they're doing. They won't be forthcoming about what their plans are. We know about it because we're starting to see it in the real world, but they're, they're hiding the actual like breadth of the plans. So they plan to continue Zuckerberg's operation without Zuckerberg. Is that accurate? And If you thought $419 million was enough or was a lot, think about what's happening with the just unlimited levels of funding and interactions with people that the federal government can provide. It's just unbelievable. This appears to be totally unconstitutional, Molly, right? Given that states run elections according to the Constitution. So do we have any lawsuits going yet? What do you expect to happen here? This has to be challenged. There are two types of lawsuits that are happening right now. It, people want to challenge it, but it's hard to challenge on the facts when you don't know exactly what's going on. And so the first wave of lawsuits is coming from good government groups. And also you're seeing people in Congress really pushing hard just to get the information about what's happening. Those lawsuits are going very well. And you've had a federal judge in Florida tell the DOJ that they absolutely can't do what they were planning to do, which was hide their plans until after the midterms. The second wave of lawsuits will come from state officials who are going to argue that, you know, like, let's say there's a federal program that's in Missouri or something like that, or in Tennessee, and they are violating the constitution by overtaking control of the elections, you'll have state officials there sue the federal government because they could show the harm that's happening in their own state. So it is blatantly unconstitutional. It's unethical. It's also just chaotic and confusing, which again is what a lot of people on the left want. It's just a bad, bad idea all around. Yes, no, chaos and violent mayhem is exactly what they need in order to ram through what they want. Um, just to wrap up here, Molly, what uh, you mentioned that states are taking some action here. What about the national level? Like, what is the RNC doing? What's the National Congressional and, and Senate Election Committees doing on, on any of this? Are they on the ground? Are they pouring money into integrity? So one of the good things about what happened in 2020 is that finally it made people like activists, donors, and the establishment realize that they needed to do much more to fight all of these things. So you are seeing a much more active legal operation out of the RNC. They are coordinating with state and local officials. They're actually doing a good job, which is sometimes sometimes surprising. (laughs) Um, And then there also is a new group started to actually coordinate some of the good government groups and their efforts and political groups who are sort of to match what's happening on the left, which has had decades of coordination uh, centered through powerful law firms and attorneys to do some of what they've done to overtake election laws. There's a new coordinated group that's starting to fight back um, in a more strategic way. Well, that is really good news. And I'm glad that you are reporting on this because we need to know that. Um, As I said, I think our side lacks imagination, um, certainly to think in the dark arts, 
as they do. That's in their job description, and our side just doesn't do it that way. So in order to try to preempt and stop their malign behavior before it happens, we've got to have a lot more energy and imagination on our side. And we've got way too much inertia as well. Although I think largely due to your reporting, Molly, in Rigged, I think people have really now focused on this, and we do have a lot more focus and energy and resources assigned to counterbalancing what the left has planned. And Monica, if I can just say one thing that people really could do to help out, please understand that voting day is now voting season. So people have always needed volunteers on voting day, but really getting in and understanding your local election laws and making sure that they're being followed properly and that you understand what's happening is so important for securing the election and just having confidence in it as well. So get get involved, get trained, volunteer. It takes time, but it absolutely requires eyes on the ground when those ballots are coming in, which in most states is now days, weeks, or even months before election day. Yes, Molly, and I want to thank you for saying that. I say that a lot on this podcast, that really we need to volunteer our time and our resources. If you're an attorney, volunteer your legal services to any kind of legal challenges, but certainly volunteer to be an election observer, a vote counter, um, anything. And like you say, it spans a period of time now. So um, anybody who can uh, really volunteer their, their uh, themselves, to this effort. It'll make a critical, critical difference. Molly, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And your book is called Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and Democrats Seized Our Elections. Guys, please go get this book. It's the most important thing that you will read. Molly is also the new editor-in-chief at The Federalist. She's doing a fantastic job. The website is just dynamite. So go read her there as well. Molly, thank you. All the best. Thank you so much, Monica. You got it. Okay, as we wrap up Monday's show, let's dip into the email bag, shall we? Chris writes, Monica, I'm convinced that the Obama cabal started with his election. The plan was eight years of Obama setting it up and eight years of Clinton executing it. That is the total destruction of our democracy from within. Thank God for our wonderful constitution and the tenacity of Trump. Thank you both for your smarts and your own tenacity. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate the kind words. And I also am so grateful that you're part of our community here on the Monica Crowley podcast. Thank you for that. You're also 100% correct. Because although the move to try to destroy the country and transition it to communism did not start with Barack Obama, they brought him in, they installed him, he was a willing participant in this, okay? He knew what he was doing. He wanted to do it, unlike Joe Biden, who's just a malleable puppet, whose strings are being controlled by Barack, Michelle, Ron Klain, and professional liar Susan Rice. Um, But Obama was none of that. He was right in there in the game, and they made the Great Reset at the time really sexy via Barack Obama because he was so smooth, Right. So he really upped the ante as president and reinvigorated the whole grand project. Mrs. Clinton was supposed to keep it going and lock it all in. So, yes, you're right. Eight years of Obama, eight years of Clinton, and then we would have been way past the point of no return. The fundamental transformation of the nation was supposed to be done by now. But along comes Donald Trump 
and he interrupts the whole communist project, so of course he must be destroyed. Now they've installed the hair-sniffing weirdo in there to accelerate the destruction of our country and the installation of neo-communism. That is exactly right. That is exactly what's going on. So we've got to do what we can to stop it before the country is lost for good. That's what we talked to Molly about. That's what the opening of the show, uh, what I talked about early on today, um, that's what all of this is about. And that's what this podcast is all about. It is about saving America. And I don't really care if that sounds grandiose. That is what all of our responsibility is. Because remember, yes, they are powerful. Yes, they control every level. Yes, they control every lever of power in this country, 100%. But guess what? There are more of us than them. So our power resides in us. And we have the power to turn this thing around. That's what this podcast is all about. And I'm so happy you're listening and enjoying it. Many thanks, Chris. All right, keep those emails coming. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Your email might be next. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Have a fantastic start to your week. And we've got a big show coming up on Wednesday when we'll deconstruct a lot of these election results coming out tomorrow. And further down in the week, we're going to cover Mrs. Pelosi's uh, apparent trip to Taiwan. World War III, is that on the menu for the end of the week? We'll cover it. Have a great start to your week, and I'll see you right back here on Wednesday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.